Okay. And we're going to get started. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks again for coming. Uh, I'm Andy Winji. This is my lovely wife, Karina. We've been married 26 years. Thank you for clapping down. You may not have been, so I appreciate that. Uh, we have three kids. Two of them are out of the house. Uh, one's at UCLA grad school. One's in Seattle going to school. And our youngest is still at home, making us old and keeping us young all at the same time. So uh, we are very happy to be teaching this class. Uh, we have a purpose for this class. We really want to talk about your marriage and not about parenting. So I know it's going to be tempting to, to hope to get some real gems here for parenting. And you will. You may. You may. No promise. <laughs> But what I find is that during this time of your life when you have teenagers and preteens at home and you're very, very busy, marriage usually gets neglected, right? And so we want to talk about marriage. We don't want to talk about parenting. There's plenty of time to talk about parenting another time. So we want to talk about marriage, and we really want a goal for you to be, to really capitalize on this time by just identifying a couple of things, maybe even one, to work on. Because it can be overwhelming with all the information you're getting. Um, you might have a long list already of things that you want to talk about in your next seat time with somebody. But just try and whittle down to maybe one thing. We're really just trying to get the juices flowing here in American retreat. We're obviously not going to get to everybody's uh, issue. Point number one. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 5. I like to use verses that we don't hear very often. I've not heard this one very often used at a marriage retreat, so we'll see how it goes. Proverbs is the Bible, right? I can't go too bad. Proverbs 5 and verse 18. Of course, the context here is the writer is warning young men to be pure and to avoid adultery and wandering eyes. And he says in verse um, verse 18, May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always, may you ever be captivated by her love. My older version, or maybe the newer version says, may you ever be intoxicated by her love. And so our first point is, just to make it fun, ever intoxicated. Okay? Now, if you're in the CR ministry, I'm really just having fun here, okay? I don't, I don't mean to offend anybody, but... Love should be intoxicating, right? We fall in love, and we are Twitter-pated. I think it's the word. Twitter-pated. Um, and we're intoxicated. Uh, both of my older, two, my two older ones have re recently fallen in love with somebody. And oh my goodness. <laughs> intoxicated. That's, and the challenge here really for us with kids and jobs and mortgages and all that stuff is to ever be intoxicated with each other. And that really is a, a standard that the Bible lays out, that if we're not intoxicated with, you know, then we certainly have some room to, to grow and improve and maybe something to focus on. So how do we do that with everything that's going on in our lives? How do we build this kind of intimacy and relationship that will keep us intoxicated with each other? We want to talk about a few different things, and they mostly revolve around how we interact with each other, how we communicate with each other, and, uh, and, and how we 
view ourselves and each other, kind of like what Mary and Kevin were talking about today, where we just have to go, wow, they're just really different than I am. Um, let's start in with the first thing we want to talk about. Uh, it's the idea of respect. Um, all the guys will tell you that Ephesians 5 says that wives must respect their husbands. Right, guys? Yeah. You know that one. We learned that one at, you know, getting married school. Um, Peter is the one we forget, 1 Peter 4, where it says that husbands need to respect their wives. We kind of forget that one. But respect really does go both ways. And if we're going to be intimate with each other, and I don't just mean physically, but I mean emotionally connected to one another, first off the list has to be the idea that we're going to respect these differences in each other. And that sometimes gets harder and harder as we get older, as we get further away from the beginning of our marriage, and certainly as we get distracted with our own things to do, whether it's being a mom or a dad, whether it's being an employee of somebody or running a business or whatever it is, we get our own agendas. And all of a sudden when you get an agenda, you have a hard time understanding why somebody else has a different agenda. And so we have to learn to be respectful. Um, Brittany, you're going to share that quote. Um, there, there's a great quote that thank God for Google, right? Um, Amy Bellows, PhD, and it says um, here, communication is the mortar that holds a relationship together. If it breaks down, the relationship will crumble. When spouses no longer communicate, a marriage nurtures no one. It is no longer a marriage. True communication involves respect for the other person as well as active energy on your part. These two skills are essential ingredients to making a relationship work. We often immediately reject another's perceptions, and this happens in marriage for sure, especially when our views differ. This rejection may even be unconscious. We find ourselves ready to dispute the things our spouse has to say, to challenge them, or to hear them as threats. Obviously, such an attitude interferes with two-way communication. The first step to improve dialogues is to respect your partner. Respect allows you to accept another person's point of view wholeheartedly. Consider and value your spouse's perspectives or suggestions. Let your partner know that your respect, that your respect and value for him or her supersedes the specific issue you are discussing. I'll read that last one yeah. again. Maybe even a third time. <laughs> Let your partner know that your respect and value for him or her supersedes the specific issue you are discussing. So we talk about communication and we talk about the fights we get in and the things that tend to, to uh, dismantle uh, intimacy in our lives. And it has to do with these communication breakdowns where we don't understand or even care to understand the other person's point of view because we get so stuck on what we think is right. I mean, Kevin and Mary again shared a lot about that earlier, and I, I appreciate their openness. We've had this, I mean, this was a very poignant uh, quote to find this week because we just we went through this this week. I just could not get how Karina could think a certain way about something we were discussing just this week. And I was stumped. And then I asked her to do something for me, and she was stumped. She's like, what in the world? I mean, it just happens. And it's this, it, it, I think respect is a, it's a learned trait. Um, we're usually not very good at it. 
Uh, maybe you grew up in a house where you were taught respect and you're good at it, but the more close you get to somebody, some of those reasons to have respect uh, in terms of their position or their, uh, you know, their, their uh, place in life diminish, and now we're just close and we're connected, and so the respect sometimes can go out the window. We, we don't treat each other respectfully, but it is, it is a hallmark of a strong marriage to really understand and respect the other person's point of view before a word gets out of your lips when you're communicating, am I really listening? Am I really taking this in? Am I really trying to see her point of view? Do I really want to know what she thinks, or am I loading up, you know, got a shell in the chamber, and I'm ready to blast as soon as there's a pause? You know, we've got to think about that uh, in our respect. Yeah. Um, one of the things um, in preparation for this class that we did was ask our kids how our marriage affected their view of um, their relationships with um, you know, opposite sex and how their view of marriage was affected and, and how they felt about our marriage. I've never asked that question before. And one of the, I did get to talk with Allie about it, and she, the first thing she brought up is um, that she felt like Andy and I did have a mutual respect for each other. And um, she noticed it when I was shopping, that I would think about what Andy would say or I would think about, you know, like I, I gave thought to his opinion or his thought on something when I was shopping. I was really encouraged by that. And um, the other thing she said that was really um, profound is she said, I, I think it gave me a, um, a respect for myself and a standard of the kind of respect that I want to be treated in, in a relationship. You know, so that's really powerful, I, I think, especially for the brothers, you know, in the way you respect your wife for your children. They're watching, and they're, decide, you know, they're, they're forming their own opinions about themselves but in the way that you treat each other. And so it's really important, this, this idea of respect. Okay, we're going to move along. Uh, the next thing we want to mention is this idea of affirmation. Okay, this is something that I'm just bad at. I'm just going to tell you. I'm just not very good at picking up on the social cues when somebody's looking for a compliment or somebody's coming to me with a what do you think, but they don't say what do you think, um, and I don't support them. I'm just not good at it. Um, I, you know, and there's, there's a number of reasons. You know, I'm an engineer. I'd like to blame it on that, but it's probably just sin, really. It's probably me not caring enough or not understanding enough. Uh, so I'm going to start back, further back in the cave on this one. I'm way back on this one. And uh, it's just hard, to, hard for me to be uh, affirming. There's a word I learned this week, uh, effective. Not effective, but effective, which actually means uh, coming from or causing emotion. And so to be effectively affirming is like this huge mountain I feel like I need to climb, but it's really important for our relationship. Karina, on the other hand, is really good at this. And she's really good at knowing when I should be affirming and I'm not. And she's not keeping score, but she's helping me uh, be more affirming. One of our more recent big bumps was over the fact that she said something like, you know, it's, it's that, I love that video we watched in there where the brain is all, and the woman's it's just wires, and everything ties together. And I was just working on the one little box we were talking about, and I wasn't very sensitive to the fact that that had a long list of, uh, you know, cause and effect in her brain and other topics, and I just didn't get it. And uh, one of the brothers helping me out said, 
well, you're not autistic, but you're pretty close. And it just, it, you know, it just hit me like, oh, you're so bad at this. You know, and um, this brother's encouraging me to be effusive. So if you struggle with this, brothers, there's a word for you. Effusiveness. Learning to be effusive. Overflowing with uh, warmth and friendliness and confirmation and affirmation of your spouse. Maybe that's something you need to work on in your relationship to build intimacy. I know it is for us, and it's something I'm committed to, and I appreciate the help I'm getting. Uh, guys, you know, we've done the love languages. Right? That's really just another way of saying, find out how your spouse is affirmed uh, about, with your feelings. Um, you may be trying to affirm your spouse in a way that doesn't register with them. Right? That's what love languages are all about. So, uh, affirmation Another tool, another item, another topic of discussion. Maybe you guys can discuss that. How affirming am I? Do you feel my support, my love, my warmth, even when I know I'm not doing the right thing, or even when I'm a little bit off my game today, or whatever it is, how are you doing with affirmation? Okay, moving on. Next thing we want to talk about, and I'm sorry this is kind of staccato here, but we're just trying to cover a number of topics to get the juices flowing in your conversations uh, today, this weekend, and also in your discipling relationships. And I pray to God that if you're not in one, you'll get into one, because there is no greater resource we have in the kingdom in terms of our marriage and having taking advantage of the other couples around us who love us and are willing to help. That was just a commercial. I'll come back to my point. Okay. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is acceptance, right? Uh, goes hand in hand with respect is the idea of accepting one another. Making sure your discussions are actually two-way discussions. Uh, it's interesting. We're working with a couple now who have this pattern of, um, you know, the wife might say something and the husband will say something back and the wife will kind of say no and... The way it usually goes is that one of them just keeps badgering the other one until the first one gives up. And, you know, it's almost like arguing with your teenagers, right? you just got, you got to win those battles. You can't be the first one to give up. So, um, but that's what their marriage was. And it's, it, it's, it's just striking how hard that is for both of them to have to fight that hard to, to see the other one's point of view. There's a sense that if I'm not, if I don't win this thing, then our marriage is going to fall apart. If I don't win this, um, this conversation, then it's all going to go bad. And, and, and I think the solution for this is this idea of acceptance. How accepting are you of your spouse's point of view? They have a very different point of view some of the time, or most of the time, or it's not none of the time, and it's not all of the time, but somewhere in between, they have a different point of view than you do. How accepting, how willing are you to flesh that idea out? Why do you think that? Where does that come from? Not where is that coming from, but where does that come from? You know, why do you think that? What did I say that made you think that that's what I thought? You know, having those kinds of conversations, being willing to accept uh, what you're hearing. Um, defensiveness is the enemy of acceptance, right? Any of you guys ever been defensive when somebody's challenged you with something or pointed something out? Okay, there's about 10% of us who are dealing with this, apparently. The hands are going up slowly. The other 90% are defensive about No, but I mean, you, you know how it feels to be defensive, right? You're just convinced you're right, and you think you're totally misunderstood. Yeah. And you think, how in the world did they get from A to B? I wasn't in anywhere in that neighborhood. And mm -hmm. it just, it all shuts down. 
All reason, all ability to communicate, to connect, to say intimate, to remember that you love this person and you're planning on loving the rest of your life with them goes out the window while you defend your ground. And it's ridiculous how hard we hang on to being defended. It's the enemy of acceptance of one another. Um, sometimes our expectations have become Lord in our lives. Never found that way. I expect a Christmas tree to use their illustration. I expect a Christmas tree to in my house. You know? And we just get and, and you back up a little and get you're arguing about what? You know, you don't think that you could work through this without throwing stuff at each other. I mean we just get I mean it, it makes us crazy. And we gotta move on. Alright, I gotta move on. Um, oh just one one thing that we came to this week, just this week. Karina is the kind of person where no news is bad news. If I'm not calling her to tell her, I love her, she's great, how's your day, what are you thinking, then if she puts it, her mind is free to fill in the blanks. And it's not always good. You know, Satan works that way. Uh, I'm on the other side. No news to me is great news. Because I can keep doing what I'm doing. Right? So, uh, Brian, you identify that. Okay, so we're just really different. And for a long time, I just had a hard time accepting that. It ought to be fine with her that if I forget to call her, she doesn't mistrust me and think it's all bad. And it, you know, we just we have fights about that. You know, like what do you mean? I was just working. You know, what do you? And, and you know, she's like, you never call. And so we just have. I have to accept that about her. She has to accept that about me. And we have to figure out how to overcome those differences by self-denial, by changing, by uh, all the things that we do in a marriage to make a marriage work. Amen? Yeah. Um, uh, Allie, one thing that, another thing that Allie observed about our relationship and about us as individuals, she said, you know, and it's, it's great when your kids encourage you. They're like, you guys are, you know, individually really great people with a lot of talents and a lot of gifts. But she said, you, you're, you know, you could never be what you are now without each other. And she just said, you know, you guys really complement each other in your strengths and weaknesses. She said, you know, Mom, you're so good at being expressive. As Andy shared, he has a harder time. Yet he wants to be, and he couldn't be that unless you were in his life. And you want to be more stable and more, you know, um, just leveled out. And you would never have that without Dad in your life. And and the the same could be said for each and every one of you in your relationship is that your strengths and weaknesses really do complement each other. When early in our marriage, one of the best thing that stuck with me is um, being a good disciple to my husband. We talk about discipling. We talk about imitation. We talk about, you know, f- following the footsteps of other people, mentoring, a lot of different words we use. But, you know, I, I made a decision that I wanted to take on Andy's strengths, and I wanted to become like him in his strengths. And um, that really changed the whole, my whole mindset. It kind of turned it around from being critical to, being, to wanting to be an imitator. That's awesome. Um, last thing on this, this idea of just ever intoxicated and overcoming the things that, that unfortunately sober us up from the intoxication that we're talking about. Um, it's this idea of making time to talk. Um, and perhaps this is the most important thing we can say to you today in terms of building your marriage. Um, we had three kids. We both worked for a while. Karina was working out of town, commuting four days a week. Um, you know, we 
do a lot with the church. We've got family in town. It's just there's a never-ending list of things to grab at your time and fill your schedule. And a lot of times we stay busy, right, because we're not functioning very well as a, as a couple. And it's just easier to stay busy, go in the garage and tinker around with something, uh, go in the kitchen, do dishes, whatever, than to deal with each other. But one of the things that we, somebody taught us and we've passed along over the years is you've got to make time every day to talk to each other. I mean, really talk to each other. Not organize the schedule, not how the you know, kid, not, not running the home talk. I mean, discover each other. What do you think about X, Y, or Z? How are you feeling? Maybe just a random question. If we can go anywhere on vacation, where would you want to go and why? Take the time to discover. We're talking about building intimacy. Right? When you're first dating, you're first getting to know somebody, some of the most fascinating uh, times are when you're just like, Wow, really? You do that? You've done that? That is so cool. I mean, and we forget to do that. But there's so much more that I don't know about Karina yet that I need to know. And there's a lot in here that I haven't gotten out yet that she needs to know. And we need to make the time to discover each other every day. Uh, ask questions. Take 15 minutes. It doesn't need to be a huge long uh, period of time. But take 15 minutes every day and discover something new about each other. Um, figure out some questions you can ask. Make note of what catches your attention on the radio or on the news or at work. And right now, here's my question for the night. This is the question I'm going to ask. But take the time to get to know each other uh, every day. I was just going to say one thing about this uh, continual discovery is that um, it's a moving target. Yeah. You know, just when you think you have it figured out, you know, something else, a new stage in your life happens, or, you know, some transition happens, or, you know, it's just a moving target. So if you ever get the thought, oh, I got her or him figured out, you know. <laughs> God bless yeah. you. <laughs> the Lord be with you. Because it's just, it's just lifelong, you know, every step of the way. Life brings so much, and we just have to accept that be at peace with it, trust God with it, and just know that, you know, it's just, the couple that's out there that just can read each other's minds, you know, show me who they are, because it, it's impossible. <laughs> you got to talk, you have to, and you have to expect that this is a lifelong thing. Okay, um, let me say one thing about having fun, okay? We need to have fun, right, in our relationships. A lot of the stuff we're talking about is drama. You know, it's dealing with issues and challenges. And we really have to not get sucked into just being drama queens and kings all the time and really figure out how to make, how to create some mountains, how to create some memories, how to create fun, exciting times. They can be little things, like Karina is a great cook. And occasionally she lets me in the kitchen to help her. But we have a great time when we do it. It's fun. We like to cook together. I take directions as best I can, and she tells me what to do, and it usually comes out good. And so it's just something fun that we do together. Uh, we've gone the last few years on our anniversary up to the wine country and just done wine tasting. I can't remember, you know, red from white. That's about as close as I get to remembering what it all tastes like. But it's just fun to go, and Karina can remember, and she loves it, and she's into it. And so we just do fun. So you've got to create fun memories. I have to include a country song in my lessons. I always do. Um, this is a new one out. Um, here's, the, here's the refrain. Corbin Easton. Love don't have to be a bunch of drama. 
a bunch of knockdown dragouts crying in the rain. It's all right to keep it light now, Mama, don't you think? <laughs> We're having such a good time together, and it's only just begun. My heart has never smiled so hard. Baby, loving you is fun. I hope that you've got time and space in your busy life to create some fun for yourself and for each other. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. Your kids will suck life out of you. Little angels. And praise the Lord for all the discipling you're getting through your kids because we need it, right? It expands our capacity to love people. Um, but sometimes you need a break, you know, like this weekend. It needs to be a great break. You know, just, it doesn't have to have huge expectations. Talk about it. Get on the same page about what you want to do. But have a break and enjoy being here and stop worrying about what's happening at home and just kind of be here, be present, have some fun together. Okay, our last point, we have to kind of pare down because we're running out of time. Um, how are we going to do this? This is hard. Our last point, we really want to talk about, first point was whatever intoxicated, and you'll get the theme of our life here. The second point is let's party. Um, you know, this is how we try to live. We try and have a lot of fun. Um, but point two, let's party. What we're really talking about is investing in other people. And the word that I found in the Bible that describes this is this idea of hospitality or being hospitable. And as marrieds with families, we are in the sweet spot of the ability to provide hospitality, to be hospitable. Uh, we know our kids know a thousand kids, and because of that, you know 2,000 parents, right? Um, there's always people you can have over. Um, there's always families you can have in. Baseball teams, schools, you know, down the street. Uh, kids are great at connecting with other people and other families. And this is a great opportunity. We don't always have time to maybe get up and go to the mall and share our faith, you know, like the singles perhaps can. Or we're not on campus all day long where people just always talking about, you know, what do you think about these really deep issues. But hospitality is a way that's very uh, profoundly used in the scripture uh, to be a, a huge part of presenting the gospel to the world. And as marriage with families, we're it. We're the tip of the spear when it comes to hospitality. And this needs to be built into your family if it's not already. Uh, there's so many things that get solved through hospitality. Okay, we're going to come to verse. Let me read this verse, First Peter 4. This is kind of This is kind of cool. This is cool, and I want you to think about the context here, okay? The context. Hospitality in the New Testament may be used half a dozen times. Not a lot of used, but look at the context um, that's used in this verse, and there's a few others that uh, we can't get to. First uh, Peter 4 17. and verse 17. I'm not the right place. Look, it's James. I'm sorry, guys. I'm stuck. I wrote down the wrong thing. It's Peter. I'm in. Is that it? First Peter 4. Yeah. 
Oh, no, I, I'm sorry, it's 7. It's not 17, it's 7. Sorry, First Peter 4, 7. Catch this. Peter says, shocking words, the end of all things is near. Yeah. I mean, just think about that for a minute, right? That's what, that's what tabloids write. That's what, you know, the end, the end of the, the, mind, the, end the, of the mind calendar. Right? The end of all things is near. You know, and it kind of begs the question, what should we do, Peter? If the end of all things is near, what should we do? What comes to your mind? I've got to share my faith with everybody who hasn't shared my faith with yet that I really want to. I've got to make sure my kids are okay. i take care of my wife. Well, I mean, the end of all things are near. What do we do? What do we do? And this is funny. Look what he says. He says, above all, in verse 9, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Here's how you do it. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbles. I just thought... That doesn't really make sense to me. <laughs> Honey, the end of the world is coming, and by the way, the Smiths are coming over on Tuesday. <laughs> that just doesn't make sense to me. And yet it's in the Bible, it's what we should be doing more and more of as the day approaches. I mean, work will always be there. The career ladder isn't going anywhere, right? Um, our kids are growing up. We've got to make the most of the time that they're at home. What should we be doing as the end draws near? We've got to love each other. We've got to teach our kids how to love other people. Hospitality means kindness to strangers in the Greek. Interesting. But that's what we should be doing. And if you think about the true religion statements, you know, true religion of James, yeah. taking care of uh, orphans and widows, what is that? That's just hospitality. Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. What did the goats not do that the sheep did? Offered hospitality to people who needed it, right? And Jesus felt that as being offered to him. This is a huge part. And I'm, we talked about kind of a lot of inward-focused stuff with those first several points. But this one, we wanted to help us as Marys, because we don't really have a reputation for being outward-focused. I want to inspire you to think of yourself as the tip of the spear of the gospel through hospitality. Because it, it, it is key. It is the way that we will win the world and certainly win our kids along the way as they see us reaching out to people and loving not just the world, but loving each other, having our, our own friends, our members of the church into our home. For discipling, for just fun, for family devotionals, all those kinds of things. But how's your hospitality measure these days? I appreciate Karina so much. She loves to be hospitable. Every time people come over, she's got out the little latte maker thing, and she's doing, uh, we're trying to have a serious talk here, honey, and she's doing lattes, you want cream, you know, foam, whatever. I'm just like, it's awesome, it's great, people love coming over, I can say whatever I want, they keep coming back from the lattes. <laughs> <laughs> How are we doing with hospitality? Okay, I, I don't want to, I want that to be an inspiration for you, because that is, that is such an awesome way for us as marrieds and busy marrieds with families and kids and lots going on to serve and to really be a light to the world. Okay, we're running out of time here. Um, oh, yeah, please. Um, when it, a few years back, Andy and I were in the ministry. We got out of ministry. That was quite a transition for us spiritually, kind of a down low, low point, low spiritual meter. And, um, you know, we, got, we were trying to work and get our lives and ourselves and our minds, the whole thing together. And a lot of the stuff that we practiced kind of fell off the radar, stuff like having people over. I remember Allie and Kyle sitting down one time at dinner, and they're like, you know, we just don't ever have people over anymore. We were kind of like, yeah. 
okay, <laughs> we better get our act together, and we changed. And we started having people over more often. But our kids have noticed. Nico, who's in our home now, like every Friday night, he's like, who's coming over? You know, and he wants to set up the table. He loves doing all that kind of stuff. And um, it, it's been really important to, to our kids that we be hospitable. It's made all the difference for them in the world. And then the, 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 the group that we've made friends with throughout the years, over a period of long time, a period of uh, a long time, um, Allie mentioned, um, you know, there was a group, the Thorns, the Roses, us, the Flemings, and the Slippos, we all you know, did a lot together. We built a group, and she, she shared that that group, that friendship, and she goes, it wasn't just a friendship because of the us, but I see that you had real friendships. Like, you're real, like, you, like, Mom, you were friends with John, you know, and you were friends with Joe. And those relationships caused them to have great relationships in the kingdom. And those relationships helped us in our marriage. They helped us in our parenting. They were shoulders to cry on. They were, you know, and then our kids, the same thing. That's what's developed in their relationships with each other. And so develop that group because it's really important. And be hospitable. Have people over. Create that in your family. Okay, so we've picked a few things to talk about. It's not an exhaustive list. There's plenty more to talk about. But we really want you to remember to focus on a couple of things here. Uh, you're going to be together for life. Enjoy it. Get intoxicated with each other again. Figure out what's sobering you up and how to overcome those things. And don't be afraid to be in love and to really, to really show it, to really care for each other, to overcome the little foxes, as the song psalmist says, that get in the way of that. And secondly, have a vision for your family. It's the tip of the spear when it comes to reaching out to people through hospitality. It's a great, great practice that teaches so many things that helps you to grow, that allows people to, to see you and help you and encourage you, and uh, it's a lot of fun, too. So, amen. Thanks for being here. Love you.